Sunday. I forgot to turn this off. It went two hours and 12 minutes. It went the max that it could actually go. So I'm pretty forgetful. I forget to turn it on, and if I turn it on, I forget to turn it off. <laughs> and it doesn't seem to work as good whenever it's run that far. Anyway, my machine wouldn't even didn't even want to receive it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know what to say about that. That's right. <laughs> well, anyway, we have uh, we have the study of uh, the day of Pentecost, and uh, quite exciting, actually. Uh, Acts two, I think that that scripture that I just read in uh, verse eight of chapter one, actually four through eight, is a is a good setup for that. That uh, kind of helps us interpret um, what's happening in chapter two. As, as in light of what uh, the Lord Jesus instructed the disciples uh, to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father uh, about the Holy Spirit. And uh, so when we look at that special historic event, it definitely uh, signifies the uh, a, a fresh new period, ascending the Holy Spirit. And um, I think what that does is you, you start seeing believers coming together and establishing this church um, and taking a, where the Holy Spirit actually takes up residence. There have always been believers and it was always God's gathering, but this is a, a special time where now the Holy Spirit uh, actually resides uh, in the people, a permanent dwelling. So quite a, quite a birth here in that sense. Jesus spoke of the church, says, I, I shall build my church gates of Hades shall not prevail against us. And that was in Matthew 16. And uh, so we know in the Old Testament it was it was a mystery. Uh, it was revealed. It's, 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 it seemed like it was kind of concealed as Ephesians, like in chapter 3 it talks about that, um, where eventually we see the, uh, the unveiling and uh, how a fulfillment of what God is doing. So we have we have a flock here, you know, very uh, much in the early days. Jesus as that good shepherd, and uh, we have people that are being brought into this. This is the whole it's the kingdom kingdom that's caused by salvation, and uh, the church is known as a as a household. Church is known as a building. The church is known as a family. People are adopted into it, sons of God. The church is known as a spiritual temple. Each one of us is a temple, but the whole body of Christ is known as a temple. And there's another one, the body of Christ. It's known as a body. And um, to think about that, in fact, it's the body of Christ. This is how Christ operates today. Uh, he operates with his body here, he, him being the head. One of the, I guess that's the most unique identification of the church in the New Testament when you think about the body of Christ. So when we uh, think about this Pentecost and what that meant there in that special day, um, it is really about mission. Not only the, the church coming together, but the goal of the mission is really that the earth is to be filled with the knowledge of God. The knowledge and the glory of God. And that's what the church does. Of course, the most important thing we do is to glorify God, but we glorify God by taking that gospel out. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for who you are and how you continue on in building your temple, building your family, building your church, these called out ones. And we get to look back in history and see this special day recognize the empowering of uh, your very Holy Spirit and how rich it is to think about uh, the ministry that you are doing in this church that's 
so powerful with you operating it. And may we have better understanding and what you're doing with the church and who you are. And in your Son's name we pray, Amen. So, we ask, what is Pentecost, right? What is this? When it says in the first verse, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. To understand this event, I think we have to understand the Jewish feast of Pentecost. It, it helps to have um, background of what was so important about this. This was an actual day that the Jews had celebrated for 1,500 years. Uh, and it has its roots back in the time of uh, Moses. And it was not by coincidence at all that God pours out His Spirit on the disciples on that particular day. It's never by accident whenever God does what He's going to do, if you've noticed that. It's um, Passover, we know, is in the spring of the year. It can be sometimes at, at this time of the year in late March on into April. And, of course, uh, this year it, uh, it is into to April. Um, of course, that celebrated Israel's deliverance from Egypt, and also at that same time there is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that. He is the unleavened bread with no sin, right? And another feast was all during that week of uh, eight days. It was the Feast of First Fruits, which was the very day that Jesus resurrected. And that was a guarantee that there will be more coming. He is the first fruits to uh, to resurrect, and those are all feasts that are seen in Leviticus 23 and in an Exodus. People were very familiar with that. Fifty days later, after that, the uh, the Passover, the, the first fruits was Pentecost. Yeah, Barb. I also, I think it's Pentecost that I've also heard referring to the feast week. Yeah, it is known as that. Mm-hmm. It's known as uh, several things. Um, it's also known as a feast of first fruits, even though there was a first fruits of Christ's resurrection during the the unleavened bread. This is another first fruits. First fruits means there's going to be more of a harvest. This is the very first part of it, and would still be right at the marked right around where summer would be. And of course, then in of course in the Middle East, and of course around here, you have a long, hot, dry summer, Middle East especially. And then you would see three more feasts in the fall. And you can see how Christ has fulfilled um, all of these ones that uh, we just talked about. Um, Pente, uh, cost, Greek word, means uh, 50th part of something or 50th in the order of something. Here's 50 days. 50 days after the Passover, if you go all the way back to the original one, that was the giving of the law 50 days after they, um, the Passover lamb uh, had happened. And, uh, of course, all of Israel uh, were spared their firstborn. Um, yeah, in Exodus 23 in the Hebrew, it's called, um, one of the words is Feast of Harvest. Um, in Exodus 34, it's called the Feast of Weeks. And in Numbers, it's called the Feast of First Fruits. And here we uh, commemorate it as, as Pentecost also. Um, but it does celebrate the very first fruits of the wheat harvest. And much more to come, but that's uh, the first part of it. So Pentecost was an initial harvest. Jews are offering to the Lord the first fruits of the new grain. And among other rituals, they had waved before the Lord two loaves. Two loaves of this wheat bread. And you know what it was made with? It was made with leaven. Now, isn't that interesting? And leaven usually symbolizes what? And in this case, it did. 
um, that actually had, now a lot of times we think of the unleavened bread and of course without sin that's, that's, and of course that's who Christ is but uh, it was not by accident that God had them have leavened bread and most of the time that's what they would have there were special times when they'd have the unleavened bread but let's go back to Le- Leviticus chapter uh, 23 see a lot of the uh, the feast here and uh, in verse 15 through 21 we'll read a little bit of this you shall also count for yourselves from the day after the sabbath from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the waif offering there shall be seven complete sabbaths you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring in from your dwelling place two loaves of bread for a wave offering, made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of a fine flour baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Along with the bread, you shall present seven one-year-old male lambs without defect and the bull of the herd and two rams. They are to be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and the drink offerings an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. You shall offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs one year old for a sacrifice of peace offerings. The priest shall then wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering with two lambs before the Lord. They are to be holy to the Lord for the priest. On the same day you shall make a proclamation as well. You are to have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. It is to be a perpetual statute in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. Celebrate this. Enjoy it. Have a good time. Don't even work. Isn't that great? (laughs) I'm sure there are people trying to make money out of that, so they would be working on that day. They can make a lot of money with feasts happening, right? Anyway, quite a picture I think we see here. Uh, you see typology in the Old Testament a lot. Um, this is a fulfillment, ultimately, of the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Until this time, though, um, the Lord's people consisted mainly people of Israel. There were some proselytes from the Gentiles, but as a whole it was mainly Israelites. And that's what that, that was. But when you come to the book of Acts, we see that the gospel goes out to uh, other people ever more than, uh, than ever before. So after the exile, it really had become a traditional celebration, the exile, the, the Passover, first one, uh, about the giving of the Mosaic Law. It was the birthday of the Torah, Moses' law. And uh, so, here you have Pentecost coming up. Now, the Holy Spirit comes 50 days after, and we saw that 50, the the, the seven Sabbaths, and then on that 50th day. Um, and in the, in the Greek, you have a word, arabon, and that means like a down payment or like an engagement ring, or about earnest money. That means, here is this, there's more to come. This, in the meantime, is guaranteeing. Um, the Holy Spirit, uh, in Ephesians 1.13, for instance, is our guarantee. That's how we know who we are, and uh, that we are of Christ. And uh, that's, a, that's a powerful thing when you think about it. We have the earnest of, of the full harvest. We are uh, not completed yet. We're saved. We are justified. And we're sanctified. We haven't been glorified yet. But uh, we have this earnest of the Holy Spirit. So in the first fruits festival, the day after Passover, which pictured the resurrection, they brought bread with no leaven. Christ. But in this at this time, the fifty days, two loaves baked with leaven, the wheat is baked and offered, the crop is not yet full, it shouldn't be, it's just the first part of it.
but it's anticipating a full harvest. And so that is what is happening as far as the uh, the harvest that is coming to us. There is a completion, a fulfillment of that. So the Lord sends His Holy Spirit to guarantee that there is a future complete inheritance. The coming of the Holy Spirit is another kind of first fruits in that sense. Like the, the law was given, but now through this new covenant that is now being... Um, Known, it's something that we experience in a way that um, we can know God as He lives in us. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Yes? Uh, I'm not meaning to get uh, very far off track here, but it it, it is uh, something that I have wondered how to counter. It may not be a new teaching, but it's new to me. I've heard it from more than one different camp. And it's, uh, you know, down part of it, it's this idea that because Jesus fulfilled the Passover, the Holy Spirit fulfilled Pentecost and so forth, that uh, Jesus is going to return on the Day of Atonement. And uh, and I say, well, but Jesus said, no man knows the day they are. That doesn't matter if they're adamant that Jesus is going to return on the Day of Atonement to fulfill the Day of Atonement. Uh, how should a person respond to that? Well, I think like what you say, no man knows that <laughs> that's probably the best way to put it. I th- you know, I, I guess there is a sense, I guess, if we were to say, um, what, in, in, the, in the fall feast you have what? And that's one you're talking about there. Uh, you would have the Feast of Trumpets and then the, the Feast of Booths, which is Jesus, uh, like for instance, is our tabernacle. That's the Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booze. And of course, that means He's with us. Yeah, of course, He's with us, but He'll be with people in a very visual way, very physical way. Um, and then there's that Day of Atonement, which is, of course, that ultimate fulfillment of that is what? Christ Himself, right? But so in those feasts, you have the typology there. I don't know if it's really saying he he's going to come back on that particular day. I, I you know I guess if they're following types of Christ, that might be why why they were saying that. You have the trumpets, which is near that same time, and of course, what in First Corinthians 15, the trump shall sound, and um, him being amongst us uh, with the feast of tabernacles, maybe that would be, but. You know, he's a fulfillment of all of those, and of course, he's a fulfillment of the Sabbath. You know, uh, he's uh, he fulfills the whole law. But those those seven feasts, if you count them the way that some do, and of course, I guess there can be different <laughs> numberings on it, but you see a fulfillment that through the person of Christ. I, I think. Um, that gives one a handle uh, as they had pictures, building blocks in the Old Testament time period, whether it be the temple, uh, you have um, the candlesticks, you have the um, burnt... The setting of the, of the tabernacle. Right, the whole, the whole picture's there. Right. right, there's a lot of things there that just... And that's for people to look to to that ultimate sacrificial offering that would be done with Christ. And of course, that these are helpful blocks even, I think, to us as we look back. And of course, um, when we talked about Passover just the um, last couple of weeks, uh, uh, you look at that you see, and you see the Lord's Supper coming out of it. And there's so much depth out of even the Old Testament. Now, that Old Testament comes alive as we've seen now that that Christ fulfills everything. It is helpful. So, but naming a date on that, I, you know, I mean, it, it would be like God to do that. I mean, I wouldn't right. say that it, that He couldn't. Right. Uh, you know, I certainly wouldn't do that. I don't know how far I'd press it, but I can definitely look back and see those spring feasts. How every one of those was already planned out, and God had those designed. Right. So that you know, there there might be a point to it. I, you know, I won't shut it down. Um, good, good question there. Um, Ephesians one one thirteen says, "In Him, in Christ, 
you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the good news, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. There's that word promise. And of course, Jesus had promised that the Holy Spirit would come to the apostles. Just wait, you know, in Jerusalem there. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. A pledge. Arabon. That, uh, that uh, inheritance that will come. It's a guarantee. A pledge of our inheritance. With a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. So the Holy Spirit is definitely the, the down payment, the pledge of what will, will come. So you, do you see the idea of first fruits there? The Holy Spirit is the idea of first fruits. There's more to come than even this. It's great to have Him with us. But uh, uh, Yes? yes. I really don't want to bog down the meetings, but I mean, you all know my background. I mean, a charismatic, Pentecostal, Word of Faith, and I, Armenian. <laughs> <laughs> Name it. You got them all. <laughs> you got a lot of questions, Dwayne. Yeah. I have I've heard different teachings about the Old Testament believers and whether the Holy Spirit was in them. You know, Jesus said, He has been with you, but He will be in you, and, uh, and so forth. And what you just read in Ephesians. Uh, was the Holy Spirit present within the Old Testament believers to some extent? I, I don't see how they could have lived the, the, the Old Testament life without the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, and that's, a, that's an excellent question. First of all, we know that how are people say how are, how are people regenerated to the Holy Spirit? They had to be born of the Spirit, just like we are today. The Holy Spirit wasn't less around than He is now, because He is God. He is deity, and uh, He has His work to do. And we see Him throughout the Old Testament. Of course, we even see Him in Genesis one. He's creating there. And and we see Him empower certain individuals. You can think of kings, prophets, priests, um, judges, and the leaders, um, and, and people who were true believers definitely were regenerated by Him. So the Holy Spirit was definitely making a presence what I've been reading in commentaries was that there is now a permanent dwelling of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ today, in each individual. How were they able to live back then and be able to do the things that they were do, to be obedient, to follow God's law that would later be in, fulfilled through Christ's work on the cross? They're saved by grace through faith, just like us. Um but there wasn't that permanent indwelling, that kind of fellowship of the Holy Spirit that had its fulfillment on this particular day. David said uh, in Psalm 51, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Um, And it's almost like in, in some of the leaders, it's like the Holy Spirit would be upon them and then it was like, uh, you would see them again whenever they they would be doing a, another duty or something that the Lord had planned in a mighty way. Uh, and I don't know exactly how to delineate that. All I do know is the indwelling, the permanent indwelling, is now uh, in in a much fuller way the Holy Spirit in us than He would have been in the Old Testament. Just like the Word of God. They had the Word of God back then. But they didn't have the Word of God in its fullest sense, the way that we know it today, like in the New Testament. Things were like a mystery. Many mysteries. The church was a mystery. Um, Christ, you can see Christ all through the Old Testament, but He was veiled, you know, in some senses. Of course, Moses, we remember Moses was veiled as he came down that, that mountain. So the Holy Spirit was there. He empowered people. But we know Him in a little more fuller way than they did. We know Him by the Word of God more than they did. But sometimes they would have the voice of God speak. 
And there would be appearances. Yes? Well, you know, I think there are many, many times in the Old Testament that it speaks of the Holy Spirit coming upon right. the person to empower them. And then it also speaks that it left, that he mm-hmm. left. Mm-hmm. That he left, he left like Saul. And remember, God assured Solomon, God assured David that Solomon, he would not leave Solomon like he left Saul. And then when when you come to the new covenant, God has given us his assurance, (coughs) I will never leave you, ever. He never promised that. No. That's an amazing privilege yes. that we have, and and to know that as a guarantee, certainty. I've often wondered because I love Psalm fifty-one, but when Christians recite Psalm fifty-one, I always have a question. David could legitimately pray that, but I don't know if a Christian can, because he has said my, he'll never take his spirit away from us. So then, for us to say. Take not your Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's... I don't know if We can't pray that. He's not going to do that. He's already made his promise. Yeah, yeah. If he's there. It doesn't apply to us. Right. It doesn't apply to us. Exactly. That's a good point. Very good. Very good. Does that help there, Dwayne? I think that... That's good. It it is baffling. It is baffling. uh, I've never really heard too many people be able to, you know, make a, a... There are Christians today who have the Holy Spirit in them, and they don't live that Christian life very good sometimes. <laughs> so, but yeah, and, and you, nobody can live without the power of God being able to, you know, to him. How can you even believe without the Holy Spirit? Right, right. Well, that's the reason they had to come back to the to the priest and have the sacrifice once a year because they couldn't live. Right. It was an ongoing thing, wasn't it? it yeah. Year after year after year for their whole life, they had to come back and and make a sacrifice to cover them up for another year, right? Because they couldn't live. Because yeah. and it's pointing to that ultimate sacrifice. It's the only way. Yeah, Barb, did you have? No, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah, I um, <laughs> and I and I'm just conjecturing here a little bit, but I can actually see where David or even Christians today could in their heart pray that God wouldn't take his spirit from them. Kind of like I remember when my mom, uh, when I was a little boy and uh, my aunt took care of us and my mom had to leave to go to work or something, I remember this one particular traumatic out burst that I had of her leaving. You know, I knew she, she would always be my mom. She would be, you know, she'd be coming back, but I didn't want her to go, you know, and I was just screaming and just carrying on and camping and, you know, no, I don't want you to leave me, you know. So I can see where in our anguish we could pray to God, oh Lord, don't, you know, don't stay close, you know, don't, don't bring any distance between yourself and me. You know what I'm saying? Now that can happen, but that's different than the Holy Spirit leaving, because He's still with you. But there's the times when we don't sense that God is close to us or around, but yet the Holy Spirit, because of that promise, right. is is always indwelling. He doesn't go in and out. But well, but I, the I presence mean, of God yeah, can yeah, feel I'm different. I'm talking about more of that. The, you know, don't don't become distant to me, Lord. Yeah, right. You know, in an extreme view of t- don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Because I only recognize you when your Spirit is working through your Word, you know, and I don't want that to be cold. I don't want it to be distant. I don't want it to be not, you know, not there. I want that closeness. You know? so, yeah, I think in that so, sense, probably a lot of us or all of us might have gone through those times yeah. where we, yeah, have kind of felt that way. Oh, definitely. You know, despairing over where is God kind of thing. But you know He's there and you have His Spirit, but He's walking you through a valley. And, and sometimes He doesn't 
He doesn't even let you know that He's there. Right. <laughs> yeah. We have to trust in Him when yeah. He's... It seems like He's... Yeah, in the, in the exactly. So, um, we have these two loaves of the wheat bread made with the leaven. And, of course, two loaves, Jews, Gentiles, now are come together as one. And the church still has its leaven, has its sin. Christ is sinless. He's unleavened. But the church, we're still in our flesh. We still sin. It's there. And that goes back to 1,500 years before Christ when they, He drew up this little illustration and they'd celebrate it every year. They had to have these things to kind of help remind them. And, and we do too. It's, it's good to have those reminders. The uh, best thing that we have is to be reminded by the Word because <laughs> we can so often forget. But these are key feasts and uh, picture, picturing the work of Christ. And uh, it's all in perfect design that, that God has laid out. Um, spirit was to come, and and uh, but there they are. They, they've been looking at that for so long. Uh, so it's it's um, it's a right. It's not because the disciples are around and they have the 120 of them, and if they do something right, or if they pray the right words, or if they say the right thing, if they are obedient. Then He will come. That wasn't it at all. It was God's sovereign act. He has to come on that day. Just like Jesus had to die on Passover and resurrect when He did because it was all mapped out. It's not, you know, God is just doing things whenever He just, oh, now's time. You know, He's had all this planned out. Sovereignly designed. What a plan at the precise time. So He deemed it to happen. The full harvest. I think you have a, a full harvest uh, coming. You know, you have the first fruits there. That 120 uh, spirit comes at, uh, and gives a guarantee, and uh, that is a guarantee to, to the whole body of Christ, the whole church. The Jews and Gentiles are on equal footing, where it had never been like that before. So the two loaves are made of unleavened bread. And the unleavened bread, uh, or of, of leavened bread, the unleavened bread was uh, definitely a, a great picture of Christ. He's the sinless one, but the sin in the church. I think a lot of this, the Spirit's timing when it, when He comes, is is very very important. And that's the very the day that Christ uh, was saying this was going to happen. And it's going to empower them to spread the knowledge. That's a phenomenon. Some of the phenomenon that happens at this time um, here in the second chapter, all familiar with it, heard many times. They're all together, right? That's what they're, and probably in that upper room, we talked about this last week, it could be that same room where they were at the Passover and so many things are going on at this time. We don't know for sure, but it certainly would make sense if it were. It has to be a pretty big room so they can have uh, those 120 fit in there. And then they're doing what, what they were told to do, and then suddenly, they didn't know when it was going to be. There came... From heaven, you notice that? comes from heaven. Right from God. God is the source. And it's a noise. It's a noise like a violent rushing wind. It doesn't say it's a wind coming in there, but it's a noise. It's like a violent rushing wind. This noise has to be quite a racket. Matter of fact, it's probably something like a tornado, like a hurricane, it is going to grab attention from people all over the city because you remember there's quite a crowd that gathers there because of this noise. Have you? Has anybody here been through a tornado? Oh, Barb? I was too little to remember the sound. Remember the, the printer fell, fell over. I remember that. You remember the effects of it? Yeah. Do you, do you remember the sound? 
And of course, I, I they, they say it's like a thousand freight trains, and that's exactly what it sounds like. That's what I've heard so many times by it's many like people. Freight train. It can be heard. And so, if it's something uh, something like that, it's definitely uh, like uh, this. It's a violent, a violent rushing wind. So there's a metaphor here, an analogy, whatever it is. There's definitely a sound, and it is heard. But it is just the sound. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's not a wind. Right. No wind. It's the sound. Specifically. That's all. And, and because let, there was no damage like a tornado, they were all there. But they heard the sound. That's right. So there's no use to think, well, wonder what kind of wind that was blowing, and there wasn't any wind. There wasn't any wind. But it had the sound of the wind. Noisy. That's right. Um, the word there for wind, a lot of times you get wind and spirit being the same, pneuma, this is a little bit different word than what we normally get. Um, and I think there's only one other time that this word is used. I believe it's in chapter 17. It, it means a blast. Uh, this, this, it was so loud, it was like it got the people to want to check this out. Yeah, Bob. Isn't that uh, where uh, the Spirit is hovering over the face of the deep in the Genesis, uh, you know, like... Don't they say that was kind of like a vibrating or a, like a hovering, tremor, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like a vibrating, and that's what sound waves are. You know, if they heard a sound, it's vibration, or you know, it's waves yeah. created by the force that's creating it. So it's like you know, there was no wind to feel, but there was, you know, if, if it was audible, then I presume it would be sound waves. Yeah, exactly. It definitely got the attention of the people in that yeah. in the building, but, but it's no. consistent with the Holy Spirit doing that vibrating that, thing. That, that hovering, yeah. Yeah, Barb. You have um, 1725, but what book? That's Acts. Yeah. The Book of Uh, <laughs> that they would seek God, or perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. Did I say verse 27? No, 27. Okay. Okay, there we go. Yeah, He gives to people life and breath. Normally that word for breath, and they're kind of related, would be pneuma. Life and breath, uh, which, of course, that's associated with wind, breath, spirit. Um, But this time it's that word, it's noe. And so it's it's a little bit more, a a little bit different than what you would think of the the breath or or just um, uh, something that uh, is breathing, whatever. This is definitely the breath of God. I mean, in the sense that... um, it's like a phenomenon, though. I mean, it's coming from heaven. That's the idea. That's the source. It, it's like an explosion. I know it's, what's the term, anthropomorphic or whatever, you know, represent, human terms to represent God. But in Job or Psalms or somewhere where it talks about the breath in his nostrils. Mm-hmm. Right. Or the blast in his nostrils, in some translations. The blast in his nostrils. Yeah, I don't know what the Hebrew word for that, but yeah, that would be... You're talking about some power there, aren't we? Yeah. Um, and so this is this is all part of the uh, the blast of, of, of God Himself. And then you get another phenomenon. And this is filling. This, this noise, blast, uh, violent sound that's coming, it's filling the whole house where they're sitting. Everybody knew something was really happening. I mean, this is not mistaken. Not at all. And then in verse 3, you get another part to it. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, like fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. So there's the second part. And it's it's tongues that looked like fire. They looked like that. It wasn't real wind. It wasn't real fire here. But 
Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Well, again, I've never understood exactly what they meant by tongues of fire. I mean, that seems to come from the old King James, and we don't talk about tongues of fire in fire. So oh, all I got to do is look at my fireplace that burns at night, and here's these tongues of fire. But it's the same fire that was on the burning bush. It didn't burn the bush either. That's right. But uh, it was that, that fire was there, the presence of God. Exactly. It's you, you have the sound. Now you have this appearance. You have what? Visual and, and audio. And everybody is seeing this. It's not like one or two people are experiencing this and then the other people, oh yeah, yeah, I saw that. I, I felt that. I, I looked at that. You know. I mean this is each one of them is in on this. They see it, they hear it. There is no mistake. Nobody's making this up. It's a real happening. And they're moving like like flames there, and they're resting on it. This is a supernatural thing that's happening. There's no doubt about it. Um, But each received the Holy Spirit there. Each are baptized. Each one of them. Not half of them, and then the other ones have to pray for the other half, or one or two that's not. All of them. This is all at this one time. Now, this is not necessarily the baptism of fire that, that John the Baptist is talking about there. That's, that's talking about judgment. But we are talking about a visible demonstration here of the Spirit. And probably like the Moses thing, like Eldon, you were pointing out, I think I even have that down as a scripture that, to, to look at in, in Exodus. Uh, the burning bush. Moses and the burning bush. You got that on your outline there, right? And, uh, you know, God is demonstrating that He's there. You know? And uh, can you imagine a little tongue of fire? <laughs> Whatever that must have looked like. I saw a picture of it um, last night. It was probably kind of like what Elton just said. I said, that's not a bad picture. I mean, I've seen some in down through the years. and Oh, that's just awful. <laughs> I mean, how can, you, how can you picture it yourself? But it's kind of interesting to think about that. You'd never forget it. And this is all... God demonstrating that uh, something has happened uh, and that He had promised. And it would be impossible for them to know if there hadn't been some kind of visual, audio evidence where people could have just said things and, and then other people go, I didn't sense that at all. They all know. Matter of fact, everybody else around them heard this sound. So it's not just some little local thing that happened in one area like a block. It was probably all over Jerusalem. And this tongue thing that happened it was to all of them. And so, you know, it's quite quite interesting. Um, let's go back to Exodus. Let's go back to Moses there. You have a transitioning of the Old Testament, Old Covenant to New Covenant, you know, happening. But yet, sometimes it's not just a transition, they just kind of go together. But a lot of things like that were supernatural can kind of blend together. In uh, chapter 3, verse 2, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked... The bowl the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So a burning bush, here you have something like these tongues burning, fire. Uh, God's done these kind of things before. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up? <laughs> I guess so. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. I think that would get your attention, wouldn't it? God can do that. Boy, he can do whatever he wants to do. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face. He is afraid to look at God. That's a holy God. And here we have uh, this scene happening 
What an incredible thought. And then you have verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. When when people see this, we get so much... Um, so many different views and angles on it. But when you see what God is trying to do here, I mean, and yes, He's working in a supernatural way. That's, that's what it takes because He's God. <laughs> but He's going to do some things here that it's like a, a birth in a way. You only have one birth. You don't need to copy this. Can you imagine people getting together, begging God for the Holy Spirit to come today? It's just like you have a foundation, like the Bible. The Scripture is our foundation. We don't need another um, book to add on to Revelation. We, you know, that's that's closed. The canon is done. We we have that foundation. All we need for this at this time, and when um, a lot of people will, will tarry, will tarry for the Holy Spirit to come. The thing is, if, if they're believers, they already have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has already come and indwelt the body of Christ, the church. And as He adds people into it, they automatically have the Holy Spirit. Once they become believers, it's not, uh, now later you'll get the Holy Spirit. Uh, if that were the case, uh, it'd be rather sad. The uh, thing is, we're told, and, and with so many scriptures we can go on that, but whenever people talk about the baptism of the Spirit, uh, although there's some different angles on that, um, we're talking about being placed into the body of Christ. We're talking about being identified with Christ. Baptizo, immersed into the body of Christ. Um Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 12. For even as the body, and he's using this great illustration, the body of Christ, is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. We were all baptized, placed into, immersed, completely identified with Him. In Romans 8, Romans, that great Holy Spirit chapter. What a great chapter. A jewel. You know, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he talks about the Spirit of God. In verse 9, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So either you're a believer and you have the Holy Spirit, or you're not a believer and you don't have the Holy Spirit. It's not that you're a believer and then later on you can really, really pray hard and really want to work up and then start speaking in tongues and you'll get the Holy Spirit. And we know that that has been taught, is being taught in quite a few churches today. That's not what Scripture says whatsoever as we go through uh, all these these. These thoughts. Jesus had promised this way back, uh, early even in his ministry, in, in John chapter 7. And this is, you know, you look in uh, the New Covenant prophecies in the Old Testament, and you see the same thing. Ezekiel, I can think of, for instance. In John 7, I love this, verse 37. There was a feast at this time that was happening and they were pouring I think there was the pouring of the water and of course that was um, practiced by by the priest at this particular time at this feast and at the very same time here's what Jesus is saying now on the last day the great day of the feast Jesus stood and cried out saying if anyone is thirsty 
let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So there is the same Holy Spirit that he's talking about. Rivers of flowing water. Flowing rivers of living water. Living water. And then, of course, he's speaking of the Spirit. Spirit of God. Flowing. That's an incredible thought. Uh, dwelling permanently. John fourteen seventeen. The night before he's um, arrested... night he is arrested <laughs> during the Passover as a matter of fact during that meal he's giving them instruction it says in verse 17 that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you and I think that kind of might help us a little bit there too they were in a transition period and the Holy Spirit was abiding with them, but until He would leave, He could not come in and abide in them. Closer. Closer yet. It's great to have the Holy Spirit around you, but to actually be living in us, I, that's a hard thing to understand anyway, isn't it? But that's incredible. You know, God dwelling in us. And so He prophesied this quite quite a lot. And you know what? The baptism of the Holy Spirit, people are looking for some grand experience. The filling of the Spirit is really what the evidence is. And if we look at Scripture, we'll see that you possess love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Those are what are what is known as the fruit, not fruits, but fruit of the Spirit. As one, the fruit of the Spirit. That is evidence that somebody is one of Christ. Not just because they might say some kind of something that comes out of their mouth. Uh, attitudes being filled with the Spirit. And that's what happened. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with these other tongues. I don't think for the Christian that we are to redo this particular time that they had and try to get the fire over us. Wouldn't that be cool to see and all that that noise going on? But uh, honestly, he's already done that and he has taken up residence in the church and what he does is regenerate individuals. And the work of the Spirit in us then changes us. And our evidence is how he works in giving us uh, the fruit. And to be filled means to be dominated by. It means to be moved along by. It's like a, a ship with sails. And the wind just fills up the sail and moves it along. Being filled with the Spirit. And if we looked in Acts Let's do a, a, a quick flyby, and, and we're going to end here. This this filling of the spirit just constantly keeps coming up, and it's not it's not some kind of a little magical trick. It's because they're moved along by God. Look at this, Acts four eight. P- then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, what did he do when he had the Holy Spirit filling him? Did he start falling on the floor and, and kicking and running around the building? Did he start, uh, you know, uh, what, sticking to the floor? Uh, some of the crazy, barking like dogs. Did they, did they do that? You don't see that. But here's what Peter did. He spoke. He said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. What did he do? He preached the gospel. What's Acts 1.8 say? Holy Spirit's going to come. What are you going to do with that? 
you're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of there. What are they going to do? They're going to preach the gospel. Acts 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They began to speak the Word of God with boldness. Chapter 6, verse 5. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then some other ones, Philip, Nicanor, Timon, Parmians, Nicholas, okay, um, filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. So he was full of grace, power. He was filled with God's Spirit, wasn't he? Full. Play Roma uh, to the to an extent that he, they're driven by that. Chapter 9, verse 17. Here you have Paul and his um, conversion. So Ananias departed and entered the house and after laying his hands on him, identifying with him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so was Paul not born again until <laughs> that's a good point. The Holy well, you know, I, I that's a very good um, point. And it's a very short while, but we know he got knocked off his horse. We know that he recognized this as Jesus. Of course, it was going to be that way. He's God's chosen. He is elect. But could it be that when the Holy Spirit then happens here, that he becomes... Uh, the believer that he is. He's told this, um, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you has sent me so that you will gain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the scales fell off. He regained his sight. So I think there's a physical sight that's happening here, but I think it's really showing us there's a spiritual sight. Uh, as, as the Lord had was kind of working on him just in a, in a little short amount of time. He'd already appeared to him and well, and, and such. He's baptized then. What's that? The next couple of verses, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Then it says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue. So just like yeah. the others who, as soon as they received the Spirit, they started preaching the Word of God. To me, that means that's when he got it there and he immediately started preaching. So it was a few days Later. Yeah. What you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled with the Word of God. You proclaim it. Uh, you know that's that's what the church is to do. That's and of course you know you you go out through the rest of Acts. I've got other verses there, but that's really the the sequence. And uh, it goes on. I, I think of Ephesians five. I said that was going to be it. Ephesians five. You can't help but but think of that about. Uh, the command we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, um, we are to be obedient in that. And he says, "Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit." And how do you do that? What, what happens as a result of that? Speaking to one another in what psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what that's what you do at church, right? Singing and make melody with your heart to the Lord. It's all to Him. Always giving thanks. You're all doing this by the Holy Spirit, right? Um, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject, submissive to one another in the fear of Christ. So, And then your relationships as far as marriage, at home, the family, um, your relationship at work and how, how you work. It, it entails every part of our lives. Ephesians 5 just outlines it there. Whether it be at church, whether it be at home, or whether it be at work or school, wherever it be, be filled and be continually being filled. It's an ongoing thing. So, anyway, that's a little bit about that. 
Baptism is positional. That's what happens. But the filling is the practical thing. That's what we're commanded to do. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Or in Colossians it says, be filled with the Word of God. It says the same thing after that. In church, at home, at work. Same kind of thing. Filled with the Word of God is the same as being filled with the Spirit of God. The two always go together. So anyway, these people were filled, and can you imagine? They are now ready to proclaim the gospel to lost people. And there will be thousands say, what a supernatural work that happened here. Boy, this had to be a tremendous thing. An awesome thing. It is something to celebrate about, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this evening. Thank You for Your Word and uh, giving us uh, a little bit of insight of what happened in the Old Testament as people looked to Christ, the Messiah, and as these disciples looked for the time that You would send the Holy Spirit. And uh, they waited. And when You came at that precise time, You made an impact And the church started turning the world upside down. Lord, give us that strength that we have in the Holy Spirit. Help us to be able to respond in a way that we would be excited about telling about the Jesus Christ who saves people from their sins and they can live with you forever. Thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit that we have. And uh, every time we read this passage, we can think that uh, we are... We have been put into this body. Thank you, Lord. And thank you for these people that we get to celebrate and worship with. And what a special group of people, the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.